This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, registered nurse, nurse continence advisor, and expert here delivering information to you tonight about has Viagra helped men's sex lives? Really? How about is bald really beautiful? Why you need to start thinking it is. Uh, not to mention, I want to talk a little bit about a recent study published in the Journal of Sex Research that identified eight distinct motivations people can have for cheating. There are a number of different motivations beyond simply demonstrating the factors that motivate cheating. This study also examined our personality, gender, and attachment style are linked to our reasons for committing infidelity. And um, the motives, for starters, are ones that you may not think of, but they're the eight main reasons people cheat. Uh, They are anger, sexual desire, lack of love, neglect, lack of commitment, situational factors, esteem, and variety. Of course, you know that variety is the spice of life. And this included wanting more variety in sexual partners and being confident that one's partner wouldn't find out about the affair and wanting to take advantages of sexual opportunities before marriage. So those were some of the definitions or that is how they defined variety in this. Um, The esteem was defined as including wanting to assert one's independence, boost one's self-esteem, a desire to reignite the spark with one's primary partner, as well as a desire to prove to a partner that others find you attractive. Of course they do. Situational factors included being on vacation, being drunk, of course, being friends with other people who had affairs, that actually fuels affairs. When other people are like, hey, I've had one, hey, you should too, it's a blast, it's really exciting, and that will fuel that. And also, so you don't want to be hanging around with people who are into uh, going outside of the relationship, unless you feel like it. Uh, And also feeling like you can't resist a person who is making moves on you, or maybe you want to make moves on somebody else. Also, lack of commitment included not having communicated about relationship rules and labels. Like, I didn't know we were married. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that we're living together means I can't cheat on you? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Let me start over. So, uh, but also the idea of not wanting to get too close to somebody and wanting to have children with somebody else. So that's lack of commitment. Neglect includes not spending enough time with one's partner, frequent conflict or trouble in the relationship, and that's not dealing with your issues, quite frankly, as well as feeling that one's partner had been neglectful. There's also a lack of love, which is another one of the reasons that people cheat. This included uncertainty about being with the right person. What's that song? Love the one you're with. Uh... (laughs) can't remember any other words. Uh, anyway, I'm totally blanking on it. But you know what? Just love the one you're with, okay? Um, and falling out of love with a partner and growing bored with the relationship, but, but also growing bored with the uh, sex in the relationship. Sexual desire included a desire to try certain acts, certain sex acts that one's partner wasn't interested in. A desire for more frequent sex, more varied sex, as well as confusion about one's sexual orientation when people are not allowed to express their sexuality. And anger included cheating out of a desire to get back at a partner who had cheated or was suspected of having done so. This is the old revenge cheating. And you see that quite, quite often, you know, people are like, well, he had an affair. So that gives me license to have an, an affair as well. 
And so it's the desire to get back at a partner also who had done something else upsetting. So it doesn't necessarily mean it had to have been an act of infidelity. So it certainly can be uh, something else. So the problem I have with this study was not the number of people, 495 adults that were studied, but the average age was 20. And so at 20, there are like no problems in life. (laughs) Very few. Um, you know, research consistently finds that between one in four and one in five married person persons in the United States has committed infidelity rates. And I think it's actually higher than that. But, you know, not a lot of people are going to admit to it because they don't trust. You know, there's a whole group of people that are non-trusting individuals and rates of infidelity in dating relationships are even higher. Of course they are because you haven't tied the knot. So, you know, pretty much if you tie the knot, even if you haven't talked about it, because I don't think people sit down and say, um, okay, we're going to get married. We're going to walk down the aisle. You're not going to cheat on me, right? They might say, how do you feel about cheating? And oh, I don't like cheating. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to cheat on you either. Okay. And that's about the end of the conversation. But there are so many reasons that people cheat and people don't realize that. And there's very little research that is uh, explores the motivation behind infidelity. And so there are a number of reasons that that people cheat, which I just reviewed. And I'm sure there's a plethora of other reasons why people cheat as well. So some that were not even included in this. And if you have a reason um, why you cheated that is not in this list, just email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. So back to the recent study that's published in the Journal of Sex Research that uh, reviewed the eight distinct motivations, which I just went over with you. Um, And also the things that motivate cheating, uh, you know, that, you know, anger and, and upset and revenge and lack of love. This study also examined how our personality, gender and attachment style are linked to our reasons for committing infidelity. And something else I want to say, I think it's your time in life. You know, I think that also, uh, that your time and your place in life, and also if you think you can get away with it. <laughs> so I think there's a number of other of other um, the factors, characteristics about us, personality, beyond personality, gender, and attachment style. So sexual desire motivations, cheating because you want more or frequent, more frequent or a different or varied sex, were more common among men. Hello. As well, which surprises me because more women report boredom in the bedroom than men do. But men get bored in the bedroom faster than women do. So, I mean, it's, you know, this is complex. This is confusing. Um, But, you know, it also has something to do with the age of people and what they're contending with in life. So uh, people with higher levels of anxiety, uh, attachment anxiety, were um, more likely to cheat because they wanted more frequent or different sex. So anxiety is attached to that desire to have sex and to have more sex and to have better sex. And, you know, a greater fear of abandonment as well. And fewer relationship growth beliefs. For example, less confidence in your ability to overcome conflict. That's why it's so important to overcome the conflict in your relationship. So anger motivation, so that's cheating because you're mad at your partner, were more common among those in high attachment anxiety as well as those high in attachment avoidance. So those are people who have difficulty 
getting close to somebody else. So they just get ang- angry and then they just go off and have sex with somebody else and they risk the relationship. Then there's the lack of love motivation. So cheating because you've fallen out of love. We're linked to being high in attachment avoidance because it's like, oh, you know, you kind of don't really necessarily want to get tied up with somebody. You may have been in a marriage before and, you know, it may have, you know, you may have negative um, emotions around that. Um, also, people who have more relationship destiny beliefs, meaning that they believe relationships are either meant to be or they're not. And so if you're that type, you might actually have a lack of love motivation to engage in infidelity. Anyway, it's always hurtful. It's it's very difficult. And can people get over infidelity? Mm, you know, I think it's I think it's really challenging. A lot of people say that you can, but you know, it depends on the people. It depends depends on the circumstances. It depends on your circumstances, your finances. If you have children, that perception of perfection that you give out to the world. Um, and so there are some. Some people that have these romantic ideals that, you know, true love lasts forever or the soulmate or there's only one lid for this pot. And that's not necessarily the case. And so sometimes people just, you know, they just basically uh, neglect their partner. And so the they cheat because your partner isn't spending enough time with you. And I hear this a lot. They, they start to do separate things in the marriage. And, um, and so they have... Also, um, this type of cheating is more common among those with lower levels of agreeableness. You know those people who are just like ornery and difficult to get along with, challenging. Uh, They also have less care and concern for others, so they're less empathic. They have more attachment anxiety and more relationship destiny beliefs. Also, then there is the lack of... Uh, commitment motivation, cheating because you weren't very committed to a partner, more com- common among those with higher levels of attachment avoidance, attachment anxiety, and romantic beliefs, as well as fewer relationship growth uh, beliefs. But the problem with this study is it was done in 20-year-olds. That's the problem. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. On this program, we talk about Lots of different things that are related to your health and related to your sex life. And, and I want to wish a happy birthday to Viagra. <laughs> Viagra is 15 years old now, but has it really helped your sex life? The little blue pill has certainly put the bounce back into the steps of many men and, uh, and ultimately women as well for those women who are living with men with erectile dysfunction that used to be called impotence. And so we've certainly uh, seen the popularity of Viagra shift the language away from terms like impotence. And, and now we are much freer to say things like sexual and erectile dysfunction or ED. And, um, and so the positive side of this, of Viagra and the, all the advertising, and, and that's, you know, it's one of the most well-known brands ever, one of the most well-known pharmaceutical brands. And that is in large part due to the fact that every single Super Bowl game you saw uh, ads for Viagra, which is amazing. Um, but now there uh, isn't, well, I think there still is, but it's, it's shifting. It's a little bit better that there's an implication that a man with erectile dysfunction uh, is experiencing a personal failure on his man's part or his member if he has a sexual problem. Erectile dysfunction embarrasses men to the nth degree. It's and you know it's unfortunate because it is a medical condition. Unfortunately, Viagra is 
tremendously overprescribed because many uh, healthcare practitioners, many doctors are too embarrassed themselves to talk about sex or sexual dysfunction with their patients. So they grab the prescription pad. And, you know, I see a lot of patients in my clinical practice who will um, present and they've taken Viagra, they have erectile dysfunction, they, uh, they have uh, sexual desire, um, but they have erectile dysfunction and they've tried Viagra or one of the other medications uh, in the same class, the PD-5 inhibitors. They've tried Cialis or Levitra or Staxin and they don't like the side effects that they get from these medications because they are vasodilators. And so they will give you a blood rush to your head. You'll get a pounding headache, potentially heart palpitations, heart racing, flushing, just sort of feeling like you have a full head and um, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> I didn't. I honestly didn't mean that. But anyway, um, they have a full head. That's the goal of Viagra. Okay, this segment's over. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, reaching for the prescription pad isn't uh, necessarily the right thing to do. Um, you know, even when they say that, you know, 40% of men at the age of 40, and that's a common thing that you've heard, will have some degree of erectile dysfunction. That's probably true, some degree. But... Um, you know, if they say over half of men, you know, in some of the advertising over 40, which is a, a, it's an enormous exaggeration of the true extent of the problem, the qualitative research and interviews with men and women over how their sex lives have been affected. You see a much more nuanced view of what's going on or what's gone on. And maybe not much has gone on, they, um, but maybe a lot more has gone on as well. Um, but anyway, it's, um, you know, it's it's not necessarily the first line of defense or the first treatment to um, to provide a prescription for Viagra for patients with erectile dysfunction. There's also a, a coin, uh, I mean, a term that's been coined by a physician called post-Viagra syndrome, and that is used to describe men who have achieved an erection after taking the drug, but who still lack the desire or confidence to have sex. You have to be psychologically aroused in order for Viagra to work, and Viagra works best in a high-testosterone environment. Well, the reason that men may still be able to get an erection, but they might lack sexual confidence or the desire is because a lot of sexual performance issues have absolutely nothing to do with blood flow, and Viagra is all about the blood flow, okay? So don't be surprised if the Viagra works, but you're still, you still don't have the confidence or the sexual self-esteem uh, to get right down to it. Um, you know, so be very careful about that. Um, and also I wanted to say that what I do for patients in my clinical practice is um, I provide education around blood flow, around desire, around psychological arousal, around all of those things and try to get to the, the bottom of the issues that these men are experiencing or these couples are experiencing so I can educate them on, um, you know, sexual literacy you provide them with some sexual literacy, because although we are a very highly sexualized society, we are very sexually illiterate and, and people are so uncomfortable about talking about sexual health. And I find that with physicians, I, I had a male physician who wanted me to come and help him with a few things in his clinic and he could barely get the words out about what he um, wanted me, how he wanted me to help him or how he saw my role in the clinic. Um, anyway, so it's, uh, I also want to talk about another medication um, for this time for uh, baldness, for male pattern 
baldness and it's Propecia or finasteride or Proscar is it's um, marketed under the under the term Propecia or, or the label Propecia or Proscar and it's finasteride and it prevents the conversion of testosterone to DHT in the body. Propecia is used for the treatment of male pattern hair loss on the vertex and the anterior mid scalp area. And male pattern hair loss is a common condition where men experience thinning of the hair on the scalp. And this results in a receding hairline or balding on the top of the head. And Propecia, this is a, a warning, it should only be used by men and should not be used by women or children. And it also um, should never be used uh, off-label. It should never be taken by a woman or child because it can be absorbed through the skin. And women and children should not be permitted to handle Propecia tablets because they're actually, this has been associated with... Um, in addition uh, to allergic reactions to finasteride and also um, uh, there it has been associated with um, birth defects uh, if a woman is exposed to it during pregnancy. So you have to be very careful. Using Propecia may increase your risk of developing prostate cancer. And that is a serious issue because, um, honestly, you don't, you don't want prostate cancer because you will then get erectile dysfunction because erectile dysfunction is actually a side effect of a potential side effect of Propecia. And a lot of young men take this, which is a big concern, and they may get erectile dysfunction, but they are also increasing their risk for getting prostate cancer. And, and so you, you do need to have a few tests um, to make sure that you can take Propecia um, safely, so you might you want to ensure you don't have liver disease or bladder muscle disorder or stricture of your urethra, or if you're unable to urinate while you're on it, um, or before you know it's um, something that you don't want to be prescribed. And also, if you have had an allergic reaction to a similar medication called Dutasteride or Avidart. Uh, so be careful. You know what? Bald is beautiful. Don't worry about it. Um, you know what? It's it's really about you, not what's on top of your head. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, we are in the final strokes of the program. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It is always my pleasure to be here with you. I had a patient in my clinical practice who was in a 10-year marriage. They had three children and she was in a sexless marriage, and she couldn't figure it out. Uh, she was um, she she felt she was attractive. She said other people said that she was attractive. Um, she was a good wife and a mother. She loved her husband to the nth degree. Uh, she was very physically attracted to him. She would initiate sex with him and he was a sexual avoidant. He did not want to have sex with her and this confused her because of course society's messages are what? Yes, you've heard it here before. All men want to sex. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, they may all want sex, but they may not want to have sex with you. And I've seen this a number of times in my clinical practice, as well as when I do online consults around the world. Of course, uh, we, there is something called sexual fluidity, and it's you know moving from uh, different sexual expression from one to the next, and so eventually, uh, through some work and through some understanding and some acceptance, really, and, and realization um, about uh, things that were going on, uh, and then not to mention that she actually went to his computer and found hundreds of 
of messages um, that her husband was seeking sex with other men and seeking sex with couples. So he was looking for threesomes on the internet and he was also on Craigslist and looking for um, sex with men. And she confronted him with this and he um, said he was just aroused by the the fact that he was seeking this sex, that he had never had any intention of meeting up with these men or meeting up with these couples. And they were heterosexual couples that he was looking to have sex with. And this is a fairly common occurrence. And um, I've had a number of people in my clinical practice um, and I've had emailers as well email about how their husbands were uh, seeking threesomes or seeking sex outside of the relationship and and how they had, um, I had a patient in my clinical practice, how she said that she would email the women that her husband was seeking sex from or um, the couples that he was um, inviting to have threesomes and she would email them and just basically say, my husband, um, she felt her husband was ill that she said that she would say to them, my husband had no intention of having sex with you. And she just said that she felt that she thought that um, they should be honest, um, that, that, you know, she felt it was only fair if she was honest with them. Mind you, this particular patient lived in tremendous pain um, because she was constantly finding her husband seeking sex from other people outside of the relationship and particularly men. And then this woman in my clinical practice who learned that her husband, who, um, you know, as, as time went on, um, he has continued to deny his attraction to other men. Um, they have since separated, but they remain tremendously good friends. And she says, you know, she's, uh, been dating, other men. And of course, she's had some trust issues as well, because of course you would when you're in a relationship with somebody who is, you know, constantly seeking um, sex and and seemingly meeting up with other people, you know, making arrangements to meet at particular addresses. And so um, she doesn't have that validation that he actually went and met them there. But it's pretty, you know, it, it was pretty um, damning, the the evidence. And um, as well, these other women, and I hear that from these women who find their husbands online and um, looking to have sex with other women outside of the, of the relationship and, and, you know, oftentimes wanting um, threesomes as as well with other men and, and women. And so, you know, they're, they're just trying to uh, deal with life, you know, just, you know, life is hard enough without having to keep this secret, to keep this secret from your parents and your friends and your neighbors, your children. Um, so it can be extremely challenging um, for people. But, you know, the saddest thing is, in particular with the patient in my clinical practice, um, is the fact that her husband is not allowed to express his sexuality in a way that allows him to live with with success, and I define success as peace of mind and judgment-free. Uh, he comes from a particular culture that shames uh, gay uh, people. And um, so I was quite interested to, you know, and, and there are men who have sex with men, and they do not ascribe to being gay. And so there is, and so this 
particular patient, she said that her husband swore up and down that he was not gay, that he, um, and he's actually, uh, since they split up, he's dated several women, but it could be a bit of a front. Um, we don't know. Only he knows the truth, really. And, but I was interested to see there's a new app for men looking to have sex with men, even if they're not gay, because there are MSMs, men who have sex with men, and they are not gay. Um, this is only natural that this hookup app would uh, jump on this trend, and it's called Bro. Uh, because of the app's avoidance of explicit sexual labels, there's really some confusion as to who it's designed for. So the, the founder, Scott Cutler, said, um, the, the founder of Bro, that the app is catering to men who want to have sex with other men without explicitly, explicitly self-identifying as gay or bisexual. And one of the reasons they don't state bi or gay in the app is that they don't believe it should matter when men are meeting other men. And they found labels are less and less relevant and and right, rightfully so because labels can certainly be extremely damaging. Um you know there there's also a term associated with this app called heteroflexible guys seeking bro jobs. Um, in other words, straight men who dabble in gay sex. A lot of men um, like to have sex with other men because they enjoy rough sex. And a lot of women, even though they are heterosexual, a lot of women they find, you know, do not enjoy uh, rough sex. So they don't realize that they enjoy rough sex if they have not engaged in in rough sex. And so, um, you know, these these men can dabble in gay sex while ostensibly maintaining their straight identity. And this um, interpretation is in line with the recent, um, you know, plethora of Internet trends highlighting the prevalence of male sexual fluidity, many of which have been, um, you know, pegged to a book uh, called Not Gay sex between straight white men and that's by jane ward recent data from the centers for disease control and prevention supported the idea that bro jobs might actually be a thing reporting that 2.8 percent of straight identified men have engaged in anal or oral sex with other men bro apparently is not trying to be grinder for straight dudes uh, it's actually geared towards men that typically identify as bi or gay. And, and sexually fluid men, of course, are welcome to try it. There's no discrimination here. So the, despite the no-labels branding, there does seem to be an understanding that the majority of the men who would be interested in, in this networking app for MSMs uh, would indeed be uh, gay or bi. Uh, you know, many women struggle because they realize they've married a gay man. They they may be in denial for a long period of time. And don't forget, deny, denial is a drug. And so you may have seen signs or there may be very little sex in your relationship. You may find your husband online seeking sex with other men or other couples or other heterosexual couples. So they may be bi or they may be gay. But, you know, they often live in pain, these men, because they are not able to express their sexuality. They're not able to be themselves. They can't be authentic. They can't be genuine. They're always hiding something. Um, You know, they're always hiding their true self. 
their parents may not know that they're gay, their friends, you know, or the other, um, the flip side is that everybody knows they're gay except for them and they don't know. And then when they've had a few children and, and you've bought a house and maybe a summer home and you've got friends and membership to the club and then boom, you realize that your husband is gay. It can be incredibly heartbreaking for women. It can, they can feel betrayed. It's a betrayal unlike any other betrayal, and it's incredibly sad, and that's why we need to let people live true to themselves. Authentic lives are the best. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, we're in the final stroke of the program, and I want to talk to you about a very, very sad and challenging medical condition. It is Alzheimer's disease and it affects so many people in this country. And there are 10 early signs and symptoms of Alzheimer's. We all lose our our keys here and there, um, but the memory loss that disrupts daily life may be a symptom of Alzheimer's or other dementia. Alzheimer's, keep in mind, is a brain disease that causes a slow decline in memory thinking and reasoning skills and there are 10 warning signs and symptoms and so if you notice any of these i implore you to go and see your doctor schedule an appointment with your doctor if you notice these in your partner in somebody that you love definitely schedule an appointment encourage them to go and speak to their to their doctor and one of the early signs and symptoms of alzheimer's disease is memory loss that disrupts daily life. So one of the most common signs of Alzheimer's disease, especially in the early stage, is forgetting recently learned information. Others include forgetting important dates or events, asking for the same information repeatedly, and increasingly needing to rely on memory aids like notes or electronic reminders or for family members um, for things that they used to handle on their own. A typical age-related change is sometimes forgetting names or the occasional time forgetting an appointment but remembering them later. Another change or another sign or symptom that you might see is challenges in planning or solving problems. And so some people may experience changes in their ability to develop and follow a plan or to work with numbers when they have early signs of Alzheimer's disease. They may have trouble following a familiar recipe or keeping track of the finances or the monthly bills. And they may have difficulty concentrating and taking, and they may take a lot longer uh, to do things than they did before. We all make the occasional error when balancing our checkbook or um, taking money out of the bank machine or something like that. At least that's what I'm going to say, or spending too much at the store. Uh, Difficulty completing familiar tasks at home, at work, or at leisure are another uh, set of signs and symptoms that you may notice for people with early Alzheimer's. They find it difficult to complete daily tasks. Sometimes people may have trouble driving to a familiar location or managing a budget at work or remembering the rules of a game. But typically, we occasionally need help to use the settings on a microwave or to record a television show. Um, you know, sometimes you just can't figure out Netflix or something like that. Um, but, you know, it comes back to you. That's kind of typical age-related changes. But for those people who have confusion with time or place, people with Alzheimer's can lose track of dates, seasons, and the passage of time. And they may have trouble understanding something if it is not happening immediately. And sometimes they may forget where they are. Also, 
people with early Alzheimer's may have trouble understanding visual images and spatial relationships. And so for some people, having vision problems is a sign of Alzheimer's. They may have difficulty reading, judging distance, and determining color or contrast, and that can lead to problems with driving. But this can also be um, for another reason as well, like people may have um, had a stroke. And so that can be, that's why it's important you go to your doctor for any of these signs and symptoms, or if you notice this in your partner. You know, as people age, they, um, they may have vision changes that are related to cataracts um, of film over the eye. So for people with Alzheimer's disease, they have new problems with words or in speaking and writing. They may have trouble following or joining in a conversation. They might just get entirely lost or just have no words. They may stop in the middle of your conversation and just have no idea how to carry on or they may repeat themselves over and over again and they may struggle with vocabulary just trying to find the right word or trying to find a series of the right word or they may call things by the wrong name and of course we all have trouble finding the right word every now and again even me of course I do you can hear it here I'm sure Um, But, you know, that's a normal um, aspect of life. So it depends on your stress level and all sorts of things. But um, misplacing things and losing the ability to retrace steps. So a person with Alzheimer's disease may put things in unusual places, and that can be the hallmark sign. They may lose things and be unable to go back over their steps to find them again, and they may actually accuse others of of stealing, and they can get very stressed and have high anxiety as well. And also they might rifle through to look for something and and swear that they had it um, before. So it's really important that that these changes are noted and actually, um, you know, assessed by a physician. Uh, Because people with Alzheimer's may experience a change in judgment. They may have bad judgment or poor judgment or their decision-making might change. They might use uh, poor judgment when dealing with money. They might give a lot of money to telemarketers or something. They might think, oh, you know, somebody calls and says, you... um, I had a call recently. Of course, I can't remember exactly what it was, (laughs) but it was... uh, Anyway, I don't remember. I think it was from the bank. And they, I was told, and I, then I called the bank and they said we would never do something like that. Um, but also people with Alzheimer's may pay less attention to grooming or keeping themselves clean. And they may withdraw from work or social activities. Um, they may start to remove themselves from hobbies or, or work projects or sports. And they may have trouble keeping up with a favorite sports team or a favorite show or remembering how to complete a hobby or playing a particular game. Um, because the brain, it's a brain disease and parts of the brain are, are dying. And, you know, we typically will all feel, you know, a little overwhelmed or a little tired with all of the uh, duties we have in our lives between our children and our families and our husbands and our wives and our social obligations and our bills and finances and keeping up with everything, especially the Joneses. But, you know, with Alzheimer's, you're not going to see that. People are not going to be keeping themselves up with the Joneses because there will be changes in mood and personality as well. And so the mood and personalities of people with Alzheimer's change. It can change. They can become confused, suspicious, depressed, fearful, and anxiety is very common. And they may get very easily upset. They may tear quite quickly. They may have difficulty dealing with life's issues as they come along the way. They may um, be upset with friends or in places where they are out of their own comfort zone. So 
these are some of the symptoms that might, you know, might surprise you. You might not think about, especially um, those vision symptoms or the um, ability to solve problems or, or money issues or giving money away. And, and sometimes these are subtle. And also you, you are living with somebody and so you, they may have compensated. They may have been able to compensate for a while. Anyway, we're coming to the end of the program and uh, it's been my pleasure to be here with you tonight as it is every Sunday night. And so thank you so much for being here with me. Remember, you can go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. You can follow me on Twitter at back the number two, the bedroom. Feel free to link in with me on LinkedIn. Remember when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.